welcome and hello to all. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, that really threw me. Sorry, this is a strange energy we're bringing. It is, and I think the reason it's strange partly mm. is because we're not actually here to record an episode. Yeah, um, so our brains are just not in the building. Yeah, we're literally here to just do a quick introduction. So basically this episode, episode 51, woohoo! Um, <laughs> celebrate every episode now. So this episode, we were lucky enough to be joined by the wonderful artist that is Lucy Willow. Um, so Lucy's also a lecturer at Falmouth University, which is how we first got to know her. Mm-hmm. But her practice has a lot of, I think, similarities in terms of themes and concepts and the odd material and that with both of our practices. Mm. So she's someone that we both find very interesting as an artist within her own right so we were lucky enough to actually join lucy in her studio at cast and have a nice little chat with her yeah um, it was so delightful it was genuinely lovely but obviously because we were doing it because we just wanted a nice chat with her it's a slightly different format to the podcast episode so all we did was just press record and we just had a chat there's no kind of explaining things for context or uh, we no, didn't like, even really hello, wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was all just, you're kind of, you're a little fly on the wall for a conversation. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good way of describing it. So uh, I think we'll leave it at that for the yeah. introduction, but Pass we you hope you over. enjoy. Well, it's lovely to have you two here in my studio, <laughs> in my you. new studio, Studio 19 at Cast. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we were wondering 1920, we got a bit lost on the corridor, but yes. Um, so when did you move into the studio? So I moved in at the in the first week in January, which is perfect, perfect timing, timing, right at the beginning of the year. Really good. And after last year, they're doing a residency at Cast last year in, the, in a huge, in their massive studio space, which was amazing and fantastic and, and kind of generated lots and lots of new work and then moved everything out just before Christmas and wasn't sure if I was going to get another mm. studio. So obviously waiting for somebody to move out. And it was just a very, very lucky mm-hmm. moment as something became, this little tiny studio that we're sitting in became <laughs> available in um, January. Yeah, and we've had the tour. So you've got like two <laughs> halves of the studio. I have got two halves. There's no, this is probably one of the few studios in cars with absolutely no views at all. So it's like <laughs> little concrete, two little concrete cells that are joined together <laughs> with a little platform, a raised half, which is just perfect yeah, for me. The light is really lovely. It's beautiful in the it's afternoons. So nice. it's, I mean, January has been so miserable and dark and mm. wet and rainy. I didn't realise that the sun would actually come in at all, but one end is so bright and gorgeous. Yeah. And then the other end I'm going to turn into a research kind of library space where I can write mm. and... Mm. Um, prepare things for students and, and have like a nice kind of researchy end. So yeah. I've got a making messy end and a research end, which is just lovely. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Do you find that distinction quite helpful? Because I think that's something I've always struggled with. It's like being in one space. I think it's often the thing of why people say that having a home studio can be quite hard because it's suddenly your home and your work. And obviously within your work, you've got two different facets, which is like the research and writing and the actual making. Do you find having like, it is literally like a physical distinction between the two areas quite useful? I I think so, definitely. I mean, when I was in the really big studio last year, I didn't, I couldn't do any research in there at all. I did it all at home. So all my kind of looking things up and writing about the work and everything happened in a kind of study space that I've got at home. 
and um, and this is the first time that I've really imagined being able to do both and also because it's warm honestly <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was talking to someone about this earlier today it makes such a difference I think a lot of art studio spaces aren't comfortable no and it's mm-hmm. really really hard you can do certain things so the sort of moving about and making you know you can do in a cold studio space but the sort of sitting and thinking and mm. reading and I mean I loved moving in all my art books so I can actually think you know, I actually will like, read and, mm-hmm. and um, spend time looking stuff up which is just great yeah because you can kind of make it an all-inclusive headspace like yeah. your studio becomes yeah. your whole sort of and I couldn't think that about the one last year because it was really transient. So I knew yeah. that I was only going to be there for nine months, which was amazing in lots of ways because it just made me just generate so much work. Yeah. But because this is on a longer term let, it's um, I'm, I'm sort of more relaxed. So my pace is kind of, it's not so furious. I feel like I'm sort of relaxed. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I have to do everything all at once. Yeah, because I remember I spoke, I spoke to you when you were in the studio upstairs. And you said you had the Grey's Wharf exhibition as kind of like an yeah. end point or like a, something you were working yeah. towards. Because that's something I found with graduating is kind of I was worried about losing deadlines. Yeah. Well, kind of worried and kind of looking forward to it in the same stroke. But um, I've had, I've been lucky in that like we've had, we've got a Cultivator exhibition coming mm. up. I've got the Newland show. So like I've had a couple of deadlines. Yeah. So I almost feel like I'm about to graduate again because I'm going to come out the end of two big deadlines and then I, again be in that space of just sort of eternal. <laughs> that's, that's so you like deadlines? Yeah, I'm absolutely like since graduating, which for me was in 2003, 20 years ago this year. Ooh. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Realization. 20 years. Wow! Congratulations. Um, <laughs> And I've always had to have something, every year I need to have something on the horizon, Mm -hmm. otherwise I just tend to go round and round and round in circles and Mm. the work just isn't focused. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, within that, there's like the work I was making last year, there was masses of testing and lots of things that I threw away and lots of editing that went on, but I needed to have that kind of something that I was structuring the work around Mm. so I do need and it is like those handing points those kind of like having a degree show where you put everything into something Mm -hmm. and then you feel a bit exhausted and a bit flat and you wonder what's going to happen next and then you start to put another project together which is what I'm doing at the moment yeah and I've made lots of applications to things which I'm very sure that I won't (laughs) but for me it's that process of actually putting things down putting the words down on paper to so I've now got, and I printed it out and brought it into the studio, so I've got a proposal that mm-hmm. for me is just a way of kind of shaping something a little bit so that I you know, I know what I'm thinking about when I'm in here. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to go or where it's going to lead, but it, it's oh, something. Yeah. But I don't actually have anything on the horizon at the moment, so I'll generate oh. something for this year. Okay, so. yes. Oh, so that's all part of the process is you're like, not only yeah. are you working towards a deadline, but if you don't have a deadline, you're you working to towards one. getting a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and all of those things of like, you know, applying for things. I mean, I've applied for so many things that I haven't got, hmm. but then it just makes you think as artists, well, okay, then if I haven't got that thing that I've applied for, where do I want to show my work and how can I put a proposal together and approach somebody? That, yeah. You know, so you, you think, and I think that's the thing about a fine art degree, it really, really enables you to just think, well, I can do that. You know, you can just, you just make things happen for yourself. Don't mm. you? Yeah, because how would you say you do that, finding the opportunities thing? Because I feel like in my very limited experience so far, it's almost been slightly things have come my way. I don't think I've 
like, well, I suppose cultivator, we slightly went out of our way to apply to yeah. that. I think that was quite a hefty application. Yeah, <laughs> but even Cultivator, I feel like, came to us through yeah, uni. Yeah, that's true. So, like, are you really selective with things that you apply for? Or do you just kind of send applications well, out willy-nilly and hope no, that kind of, I like, mean, I do, a good I mean, number I've of things land? for two of... I've just been rejected for one, which is totally fine. I'm absolutely <laughs> used to that. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the Southwest Arts one at um, Mirror in Plymouth, okay, the yeah. art gallery... But it is, for me, it's just so the discipline of doing that. And then often, and I applied for Spike Island as well, which I on really don't think I'll get, but it's it's being on people's radar that's kind of mm-hmm. outside Cornwall. So I do apply for those nice, you know, what would be amazing big opportunities. Okay. Yeah. Without the expector, I'm not expecting to get it, but it just, it does help me shape an application that I feel then can be used for other things. Yeah. And so yeah. then... You know, probably when I'm rejected for that at the end of February, I should think, right, okay, I've got this proposal, where do I want it to go? And I'm mentoring somebody as part of Cultivator, actually, oh. Caroline Wilkins, who's okay. lovely and really amazing artist, and we've got lots of shared interests. Mm-hmm. So there's the beginnings of thinking that we might put something together and then approach somewhere like Truro Museum or approach... Um, a space that would be really great to make some work with and mm-hmm. they're often the projects that I find most exciting mm-hmm. I mean one of the best exhibitions I have had was in Le Morna Village Hall oh. and I put that on entirely I got some funding and put it on you know just as an artist putting some work in because I like those spaces that are kind of on the outside of the art world and mm-hmm. how you can activate them and then how you can activate audi- audiences mm-hmm. activate the work without it being part of the art world sort of established things. Yeah. So I've always worked a lot with artist-led spaces. The first exhibition I ever had was in a taxi, a London cab, Ooh. that was in um, somebody's garden in Cambridge and they ran this gallery. Oh, was, I thought it you just meant a London taxi, like it was doing its job and you were kind no, of there. Uh, it was kind of like a... It was, a, it was an old, um, disused taxi that somebody had shipped from London and put in their garden in Cambridge and ran it as a, as a space where artists could have exhibitions. How did they kind of white it out or anything? Was it literally it a was cab? It was literally a cab and you put oh a proposal to make work in the cab. That's really cool. So my first exhibition out, out of university was knit, I knitted a funeral for this London cab. So it had it was covered in like... Um, knitted uh, flowers and mm-hmm. I worked with the Cambridge Guild of Ladies to knit oh. masses and masses of flowers that wow. they made in this mm-hmm. cab. So often the work that I have made over the years has been in response to particular spaces yeah. and I find those really exciting so I haven't I have had work in, in gallery spaces but I find those spaces that sort of sit on the outside of that and site-related um, yeah. spaces really, really exciting. Yeah, because they kind of bring something to it. It does something else, just, yeah, yeah, and it opens up the work in a way that you just wouldn't imagine that it could. So. Yeah. yeah, and then with that one, you're working with the Cambridge what was yeah, Society. Yeah, the Guild of Guild. Ladies. Yeah, was that <laughs> something that happened really intentionally or you kind of like it was totally unintentionally it's like you know as we do as artists we have ideas for things and then you just think oh my god I mean I'm such a slow knitter and I was like this is going to take <laughs> oh, you're like, I need to mass produce. <laughs> so I then involved everybody in, in okay. knitting flowers and I made a knitting pattern and you know it, it just became something that we all did together which was really nice I was going to say that must have really changed it once because this is something I wonder about I feel like I make a lot of work on quite a person. Like I just I make 
my work I've never yet involved anyone else in you know like that kind of thing like getting a group of people here's a pattern please can you help me knit this and I almost feel like I don't have this self-confidence in my work to be like making other people because oh who was it maybe it was like Anish Kapoor or someone we watched a documentary on at uni or anyone who does kind of big oh maybe it was also Barbara Hepworth because she you know she's got work on the tape in the moment and the size of her sculptures and the kind of the physical human labor that goes into installing them mm. and I'm like I'd not that you should but like I'd feel so bad like making all these people kind of sweat away and install these big metal sculptures so like how was that was that the first time you'd kind of yeah. brought a big group of people together to make it was, your work really, how was it was and it I stressful? haven't sort of done it um since either because mm. I'm quite a private worker and I you know I'm sort of involved in a process and it's just me and the work really yeah so I don't really generally do that it was more out of necessity okay. and begging a lot of people <laughs> to start off with to help me do it. But there was something very nice. And also, at the time, it was uh, there were lots of stitch and bitch groups. Oh, yeah. So it was that kind of... There was a whole phase, wasn't there, of, um, of kind of knitting groups and people, they're kind of subverting, I suppose, traditional crafts mm-hmm. and, and coming together and sort of using that kind of craft setting as a way to, I don't know have bring bring women together to kind of have amazing conversations and stuff so it's a little bit part of that which was really great and i think also backlash in terms of when i did my degree doing things like knitting or anything craft-based was considered just you know you just could not do it so i'd had these three years of just such seriousness and as a kind of response to them needing to just do something completely different i think that was the first Thing that I went into and I finished. Yeah. yeah, it's done. I think I've done a similar thing where I felt during my degree I wanted to, when I graduated, really like sink my teeth into one medium. I felt, I don't, I don't know how you felt, but like I kind of felt like I skittered around yeah. different mediums <laughs> or something, or like you're constantly on that like uni treadmill, yeah. which has its, you know, has its values, but I think it's nice to graduate and be a bit slower for a minute yeah. and so I feel like that's what I've kind of done with ceramics I was like right I want to and I'm not claiming to have learned ceramics by any stretch but <laughs> yeah. you know just being like okay Rose <laughs> please sit me down and teach me and it is how quite it works. slow right? you know you, it's slow isn't it I mean I think that's what I'm really enjoying about ceramics at the moment is you know you can't rush things they take the amount of time they take to dry and then you have to wait for things to be bisquefied yeah. in the kiln then you have to revisit them then you have to you know, think about glazing. I mean, it's it's just such a, I don't know, it's just a very it's nice a kind of slow yeah. process, isn't it, really? You can't just kind of do things in a rush. And then they come out to the kiln and you think, oh, my God, that's a disaster. <laughs> and it's time I've wasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite, what I like about ceramics is it's quite, like, geological in in its medium, in, in its, like, materiality, but then also in the sense of time scales as well. Like, it's kind of, I think, it's nice to be forced to slow down. Are you, do, do you get clay from a particular place? Are you A little bit. I've done a bit of gathering of, yeah, kind of around and about and just general materials. Yeah, which I've been incorporating into, so I like lowland clay. I don't think I've got, I've not done the process of gathering clay and then um, like processing it and being able to use it as clay to make something, but I've been sort of, I've got my 
manufactured clay body and then I was yeah. throwing things into it. Um, <laughs> do you make things out of clay as well? No, it? I don't. Do I, you, what, would you like to? <laughs> or, I mean, you know. I used to do a little bit of ceramics first because my auntie is a ceramicist. So like when I was a kid, like no one else in my family is very creative. So I'd like go to see my auntie and I'd be like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> so she used to like get me making like a few little things. So like, she taught me how to do a few sculptures because she does like animal sculptures. So I have at home there's like an elephant and a hare that I made mm. but then it was really fun I really enjoyed it and I did a bit of like pottery like on a wheel found that was quite hard but I, oh, again really enjoyed it yeah but I think I found that like ceramics is something that I like doing for fun like I really enjoy it but actually I think if it was to come to me like incorporating it into my practice I think I'd maybe lose some of that enjoyment because it doesn't really work with how I work Mm. And I think it would be that weird, almost like melding of something that doesn't really want to connect very well. I think I'd have to force it quite a lot to get ceramics into my practice and I, I don't mm. think I'd enjoy it. But if you were to be like, oh, do you want to like... Make a pot. Yeah, go make some yeah. pots together or something. I'd be like, absolutely. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, there's a sort of fossil thing that's happening with both of your practices. <laughs> which, have you kind of got ceramics in... Are fossils and ceramics crossing over in yours or fossils that yes i mean i'm thinking about when when i was in the studio last year i made i started making i mean it, it's huge studio space but i didn't actually make anything on large really on large scale but i made absolutely tons of little tiny things and i there were I times that. in the studio that it felt like an archaeological dig um, and so that's what nice. made me started thinking about fossils and i love that idea of excavating a place, kind of, as a metaphor. And a few years, two years ago, just before COVID, I was doing some work with Plymouth University and working in their geology. So it was just so amazing. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. But I was introduced to these amazing little tiny creatures called foraminifera, which you might know about. I don't know. Oh, no. But they're they're microscopic and they make their like beautiful shells. From um, I'm probably not using all the right terms. Oh, it's fine. I'm not science podcast. Yeah, it's not science podcast. Um, from little bits of dead matter in the ocean, but they then construct them into these just incredible kind of forms. But then they're, they're microscopic. So I was looking at all of those under the microscope, and they live on the ocean bed. But they are often the first things to kind of um, move into a, a place after disaster. So oh, really? biologists can tell a lot about the kind of history of the environment through the things that are made in their shell. Mm. But I just love the idea that there's these little things that collect in dead matter in the ocean. And yeah. So in my mind, I'm sort of making these kind of imagined fossils from an idea that there's, there's all these little, little dead things that are collected yeah. in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, the idea, I mean, fossils in work is very new to me. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a new starting place, I guess. Yeah. But you have you been working with fossils for a long time then, is it? Not really. It was actually like right at the end of uni, I think when we were doing the degree show. I think, oh, how did this start? <laughs> It's hard to trace things back sometimes, isn't it? It honestly is. I think what I did was, because I was working quite a lot with, like, um, wood, because I found that really interesting. It was... Do you know what? This is actually what started the podcast as well, is that I started looking at wood, and I found it really interesting, and then I said to Anna, I was like, oh, do you know what? There's kind of some similarities between our practices here. And then we kind of had some conversations about it, and then we were like, oh, we should do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, really, we should do a podcast. (laughs) 
Um, but I think I was looking at wood quite a lot just because I found it really interesting that you could like hold like a slice of wood and it's not alive, obviously, but it was a living organism and you can like track its life throughout its rings and like its bark. And I just found that really, something about that really got me. And at the same time, I also, um, like I said, I, I live kind of back home. I live in the country and there was a badger that we think had been hit by a car and unfortunately died. It died not like right outside our house, but like a few feet away from like the entrance onto our garden. So uh, we let him decompose and then he was still there after like about a year. So I went and dug his bones up um, and took his bones. <laughs> um, but I, then I started working with bone a little bit. And then I did like a weird combination of the badger skull. I sort of combined with some tree rings in like a drawing. And then I really liked that as a drawing and I decided I wanted to try blind embossing. And I sort of just went to the technician and I was like, oh, I've got this, would that work? She was like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll teach you how to do it using this image. And actually it produced a plate that I really loved and then it produced a print that I really love. And then I found a quote about trace fossils that like perfectly went with it. And then suddenly I had like this nice little collection that was like a really good starting point, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of, since then, that's sort of what I've been exploring mm -hmm. a little bit is this idea. I say trace fossils, but like sort of the ability of like material to like hold life within it, even if it's not alive. Like I kind of view it sitting in this sort of liminal space between it's not really dead because it's got like a really interesting organic history to it that's unique to, to know, like if I got a, one bone there, from one animal and one bone there from another animal it might be the same bone but actually they've had different experiences mm. in life and I just something about that really 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 interested me so at the moment I'm yeah kind of going down that little rabbit hole of it's sort of fossils are definitely there and I'm calling it trace fossils but they're not really trace fossils and it's not all fossils either but yeah no but as, as artists it's like well for me anyway it's needing to have something which is a metaphor that I can mm feel that it's got some weight that I can then start to make work around even if it ends up going very far from that place yeah. Yeah. But our relationship to objects is really interesting at this particular moment in time isn't it of thinking about kind of our non non-human relationships with either animals or objects or mm. kind of interest I've just started reading um Tim Morton on ecology art and yeah. ecology yeah. and it, it just his talking about objects and that's really fantastic in terms of just merging you know where there's kind of is no hierarchy between yeah. us and anything else and I'm sort of loving that idea yeah yeah I mean that's just ordered hyper objects actually I'm like oh that's yes really interesting. I forget which ones I read and not read because I've been like kicking about that field but yeah. I, I think it started with vibrant matter <laughs> yeah Good old um, vibrant, matter. vibrant matter yes I have a copy on my shelf <laughs> and also Oh, Thing Theory, another good one. Yeah, 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 that's really good. I've got that one. <laughs> uh, but those two, I think, for me, yeah. are kind of central to what I, yeah. I was looking at. I think maybe, yeah, that kind of thing of the flattening of the hierarchy of human, non-human, yeah. alive, not alive. And, yes, yeah, so I have... That's kind of what I've been doing with mm -hmm. my ceramics and the show at Newden is hopefully a cabinet of kind of things that have... It's flat, again... Not, just, not to keep saying it, but flattening the hierarchies and flattening the sense of agency between human and non-human. So, like, what I've made is a collection of things that have been found on the shoreline that mm -hmm. have 
again, it's that idea of like traces mm. and maybe sort of foss- fossils, but not in a conventional sense. Mm. It's like, you know, bits of washed up brick or like you get some mm. really funky things on the like intertidal zones yeah. where yeah. kind of things have been mashed together and eroded and you're like, I don't know what this is, but it's clearly something's yeah, happened I do. here. The intertidal zone is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, very, very nice. I can see that behind you there under yes. that bit Which, of paper. Which one? That big, oh, the big that one. one. Have a look at that. Ooh, I like the look of it already. Though. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Look at the title. Biology of Intertidal Animals. <laughs> Ooh! But that's, that's the kind of crossover of that's written, that was written by my father. So, oh, wow. that's really nice. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, he's a marine biologist. Oh, that's, I think that's kind of a crossover of mine. and Because, yeah, my name is his interests. Because I think... We have, like you said, kind of, we're a Venn diagram. We have an overlap. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is the overlap. Of Venn diagram. <laughs> um, whereas I think you're maybe slightly more on the animal side of things. Yeah. I'm on the, not to make it science, but you know, like <laughs> I kind of look at, I don't think the materials I gather are necessarily have lived, but they've yeah. got that sense of like, maybe a human agency has been involved in some senses, but then you've got the compounding, in, uh, like non-human things have happened yeah. to it. And then again, with, so I've got that collection of things and I've got the things that I've made but that kind of reflect those same processes and then when you put them all in together you're like I don't know what's been made by yeah. a human I don't know yeah. what's been made by something else I mean there's always been it, that within yeah. your work hasn't there so I think work, so yeah I mean you, when when you were working in the second year you were making objects that you couldn't they were replicas weren't they so you couldn't really yeah. tell it's like fake rocks yeah. and that's something I found interesting recently is yeah like you said first second year I was making direct copies of rocks and I think I was circling that idea of like oh I don't know what's been made and what's been found but that was quite a literal way of doing it and I only realized recently that what I'm doing now is a more indirect indirect way of doing that where it's still like oh I don't know who's if that's made or found but it's not that I've found a rock and been like oh I'm going to copy that exactly I'm more now copying I don't know like the word copying but you know the processes yeah. of it and mm. like replicating it and mirroring it back at itself and confusing things and <laughs> yes so. which is lovely because it does make us then question those relationships doesn't it and I think that's the fantastic space for art isn't it really is because it can bring some of those things into a space where there can be questions and then conversations can be had yeah. like we're having now that wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to have this conversation if we weren't making the work that we were making mm, yeah so some of those and especially thinking about the hierarchy of human beings with other things it's really so great to be yeah. having that now isn't it it's yeah sort of just dissolves doesn't it yeah and it's i think i find it personally quite satisfying to be able to extrapolate the things that you're looking at outwards to the world and be like okay this is what i'm interested in but what relevance does that have to yeah. the times that we're in something we talked about in the last episode i think yeah where we were saying that obviously we live in a time of kind of like climate emergency and so it's, I don't know, it's difficult because I don't want to just be like patting myself on the back and like self-validating, being like, what I'm doing does have like a reason, but it's nice to understand how it fits into the wider narratives of like how we as humans understand ourselves in relation to a non-human world. Mm. And that relationship really does need to change quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, what we're so it's into that. needing to work it out for yourself, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I think that's like, it's so confusing, isn't it? And it's so difficult. Mm. And we can all end up feeling terribly guilty that we're not living life yeah. in a particular way and we're not doing more. And actually then by reading and addressing and thinking about those things in the studio, 
you're helping, well for me anyway, I'm helping myself to understand where I can sit in amongst it all. Yeah. And I think at the moment thinking about the non-hierarchical kind of relationship between things is quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I think that's it, like it's the sort of thing that I want to say, like if at any given point in time is a very interesting and important thing to think about, but particularly this time we're in currently, I think just, yeah, like you said, given the situation, it's, mm. it is really important. We do need to be thinking about those things. Mm. Um, and I think as artists, maybe we're quite lucky that we have almost like the capacity and the way of working to work mm. through those feelings or those yeah. thoughts that pop yeah. up. And I think particularly because there's been a real surge of like, you know, we need to, we need to act now, we need to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I've noticed that there's a lot of guilt that comes with that. And I think particularly on individual consumers, we can make a difference and we absolutely should, but realistically there needs to be bigger, wider change that comes from, you know, multi-million pound <laughs> companies. Yeah. And it's an odd thing I've noticed where I think there was something that, I think it was BP tweeted like a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and it got massive backlash because they said something about like, oh, are you doing this to like do your part? And everyone was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Hang on, that's a little bit rich coming from you. <laughs> um, but I think it's true there's a lot of push for like pushing it back onto the individual mm. consumer to be like, you're not doing your part, you're not doing enough. Mm. So I feel quite lucky that as artists we've got that space to like take those thoughts and work through them and like you said, maybe situate yourself within things. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever it is. Um because yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, I think it maybe if they can't think that way or they don't have the means to really understand their place in it. I imagine that there does come quite a lot of like guilt or almost like anger. I think there's a real human thing to be like, if someone is like, oh, you should be doing this and you don't really get it, to turn around and be like, no, and sort of become quite defensive. <laughs> yeah. But I think art's always been a really good place to actually question what you're doing. But I think a reflection of that is questioning yourself as well. Yeah. But it's in a slightly safer, more personal, creative environment where I think you can actually make some good progress with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's not somebody preaching at you. It's like, let's yeah. sit down and explore this and think about this yeah. on an yeah. emotional, personal level. So it's not like you're going to preach it yourself. I mean, you can if you want to. But. <laughs> no, you sort of can't like, I mean, I, you know, you have things that you ponder, don't you? Or like, yeah. do when I come in here? And then you sit down quietly with that, with those questions. And you're just sort of working through some of that. I mean, I sit down and I'll always have a notebook that I'm you know, mm. constantly scribbling in. And they're things that... I never keep or show to anybody or but it just is part of that research isn't it where you you really want to find something out mm. and I think lots of the time especially at the moment it's like working out where I sit with things and how yeah you know and having to be mindful I mean I do like last year because I was so excited about being in that studio upstairs and then I put tons of materials and I just made 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 but then I felt absolutely awful at the end of it so I was just like bin bags and big oh, bags yeah. of stuff that I was throwing yeah that's away. a really interesting point I just point, thought yeah. oh my god the amount of stuff that you also generate me as an artist that's absolute rubbish that you just <laughs> so I'm actually trying to approach being in here in a slightly calmer way we're not frantically feeling like I've got to obsessively just make the whole yeah. time mm. and approach things with clay you know a kind of more mindful yes. way mm. that's a good point because I think that's something we've spoken about before of kind of thinking environmentally about because yeah. as an artist you produce 
material. Yeah, and so and much then, stuff. I yeah. know more stuff that just adds to the stuff in the world. Yeah, exactly. Just, and, I could just think, oh my God, yeah. I've got to stop this. It was okay when I worked with dust. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sweeping and clearing the world and doing something else, repurposing it. But suddenly when there's other things that then come in, it's really questioning it. Yeah. Questioning. So I was working with um, air drying clay last year as well, and I don't know how, I think there's all kinds of plastics and things yeah. in that, so. Well, we've had it with resin, we've spoken about where yeah. resin, it's like, I love it, but I hate it. You know, like it's a it's a really interesting material. Yeah, interesting, you can do lots of cool things with it, but it's just yeah. so bad that I just don't use it. Yeah. And, but then I think I struggle with kind of finding the balance between like, oh, this is bad to be producing so much stuff and then not just go straight to like, well, I'm never going to make anything ever again. Because you've got to allow yourself some room to yeah. still make. Mm. Yeah, you have. Yeah. And it's not And we do need to, to make through those, you know, it's not like, it's quite hard, isn't it? Because unless you're, I mean, some artists that are making, you know, making work and then selling it and it, it has that commercial value and it goes straight out. But if your work isn't about that and it's mm-hmm. about, you know, like yours, a collection of objects that come together that enable conversations or, or something to be activated from those things, mm. then you end up having them all back again yeah. as well. So yeah. it's just like, <laughs> it's it's sort of like you know, yeah. thinking, it, it's, it's really tough. I mean, like most artists that I know, you know, have this accumulation of, of stuff that happens over the years. Yeah. I wonder where it all goes. There must, well, there's just piles the of it around the world. I know that our painters, uh, you know, builds keep building bigger separate bits to their studios uh-huh. where they then store work. I mean, I'm just so glad that I don't paint. Um, yeah. But I might end up with lots of... But then the things that I'm not... I don't hold on to things in a, like all of the work at Grace Wolf that I had recently, all the ceramic work, I'm about to just break all of that up into tiny, tiny <laughs> oh my bits. God. So that, that will just become a pile of dust because I don't like any of it at okay. all. And I feel it was a, a, a kind of a stepping, it's led into another process. Mm. And I'm kind of interested in the things that I'm doing now because it's, it's the drawing elements in clay that's mm-hmm. being, so it feels like I'm sort of drawing on almost like bone sort of structures. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Mm. But again, you know, they might it might end up as a pile of dust at the end of the year, which is yeah. <laughs> end up these little bags of work that can just be neatly put into yeah. bags of dust. Almost or yeah. I think that is what's nice about ceramics though, like you said, is it, it's very cyclical. You can yeah. just break it down. You can to be honest, I think most of the work I've just made I could with a clear conscience, I yeah. think just put back into the world yeah, yeah I think I have to check that so, <laughs> I do my it's research but... my sort of, yeah I mean I'm playing with at the moment the, the how things are archived I love so yeah. you know making um, thinking about how I could make a box set of drawings and prints from the Grey's Wharf show so mm. things just become in these sort of neat boxes that are then archived I quite like the idea of archiving work into something that's very sort of transportable, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> neatly packed. Yeah, because yeah. I think, yeah, I had that at the end of our degree, like I just kind of put everything in a box and put it in my parents' house and then I was like, I don't know what's going to, out of sight, out of yeah. mind, that's done. And then kind of almost was like, right, I'm ready to start afresh and then immediately realised that you can't just, that I wasn't just going to start afresh and I was like, oh, I actually need to look at that thing that I made yeah. to see how I did that. And yeah. I, um, so yeah, archiving it, and yeah, obviously archives come with their whole own sort of associations and 
It's nice that history is which works yeah. as things as well, isn't it? It's like thinking how things could become a book. I mean, again, that's just a lovely object, isn't it? Mm, that, yeah. that kind of the way that maybe we work in all those sort of fragments and bits and pieces come together into something and it kind of is a way that something could go out into the world. Yeah. And then once things have been gone through that process, I think I'm just not precious about them anymore at all. Oh, good. So they yeah. feel like they've had their life. They're, they're done. They're done. Yeah. <laughs> they can be beaten. That's behind me now. To dust. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good point because you've got the shop. Yes. I so is that the shop. kind of a little bit, I mean, that's a bit archive archival or kind of you can yeah. put things there is it your work or is it collections it's, of- it's collections of i mean it's a space it's a it's sort of like a museum mm. but not it's not really it, it's things that do relate to sort of death and grieving processes and so it's like a cabinet of curiosities mm. it's a sort of museum and it's called a shop because it's in an old shop space although okay. not really many things are for sale and strangely enough people don't want to buy kitten features <laughs> oh, <damn it. laughs> again it's not really commercial <laughs> another yeah. idea but it's like oh dear yeah, yeah but it's a it's a really great i mean i've made it into like a sort of victorian museum so it's, it's a really nice place so when you walk in it just feels like there's all these wonderful objects and things which kind of tell stories and people come in and, and add to those stories and yeah. bring work in and want to hang things in the space so it's people bring things in that sort of add to that collection or that they're borrowed and then I have mm. death cafes and conversations around that so it's like a, a space where events and things can happen yeah I think that's yeah. quite nice because like I've run into a similar problem of like with the upcoming show with Cultivator is that the work I want to exhibit is pairings of objects and drawings but the objects are not things I'm willing to sell like I've got um, my mammoth ivory if I sell that I'm never getting that I'm not like where else am I going to find some mammoth ivory am I going to even have some and it's again that interesting thing of like would you sell it if someone wanted it but then actually it's just having the object more important to you than earning money from it because could you make more work from that or is it just really personal and Mm -hmm. I think it's nice the idea of the shop even though it's not quite a shop um is it's just a space that you can go and like almost like marvel at things and be like oh I will. I'm, nev- I'm probably never going to see yeah. whatever that is anywhere else or ever again. And people do come in, like sometimes people, come, there's a family that come on holiday mm. and they all, uh, you know, mother and daughter, and they always come into the shop and oh. spend hours and hours and just draw. So they get everything out and they just make drawings and I love that. And that's I'm nice. sort of tinkering away and doing stuff on the computer oh, and they're getting lovely. things out and drawing and it's just, so it's that sort of generous space where people can come together and things happen. Mm. I'm going to have a gig from there soon, so we're, I'm practicing live streaming, which has been a disaster oh, yeah. so far oh. because everything always. Oh, like, oh, yeah, anyway, I won't go into it. <laughs> but it's been a disaster. Sound goes and something. Oh. I'm so bad at it, but okay, I just I love the idea that things can happen, but they could also go out to the world through sort of live streaming. Yeah. So we're going to have a gig in there soon. So there's a guitarist that's going to play, you know, deep, dark, measurable songs, basically. And they're going to go out to the world so yeah. that'd be good it's an interesting space because obviously yeah, like you said you call it a shop but actually not everything's for sale and I really like that idea of 
like is there a word for the space that it is like it's not quite a gallery it's not quite yeah, a shop no, it's not quite exactly. so I'm a music venue <laughs> in there thinking what is this but I mean, that's my nice. question yeah. permanently and I never <laughs> ever come to a conclusion I can never say yes that's what it is because there aren't really any it's sort of like in the 19th century people used to open up their homes and show off their collections. It's, mm. I suppose, a little bit like that. It's, I love the Victor Wind Museum in mm. London. I it, have not even heard of that. No, I haven't either. It's probably completely unethical because he's very uh, wealthy uh, and he goes <laughs> around the world. But his place has got an absinthe bar upstairs. Oh my God, down already setting the scene. <laughs> staircase into like kind of, you know, it's a bit this deep kind of cavern of stuff. And it is his collection is just absolutely, completely amazing. Oh. And it's it sort of has that feel that it's in a in a domestic setting, but mm. very sort of nineteenth century. Mm. So yeah. there was that, you know, but I don't it's it's so, so it sort of references other things. Yeah. But it's not yeah, I mean, it's it's not know, a category or name or anything. No, it's kind of I, although yeah, I was yeah. like it kind of like you were saying, archives, it kind of tells stories. Like it's it kind tells of stories, and I really love that. I mean, I love the way that work, whether it's artworks or objects, just do enable other people to tell stories as well. But in galleries, I think it, there's quite a lot of dis- it distances people. So mm. there's always, the audience is always kind of a few steps back and they're yeah. observing. But if you put audience into shop spaces, they get things out and they're running and they talk and they... You know, and there's just something which feels more fluid, I yeah. guess, about the relaxedness that conversations can happen. Yeah. Whereas in galleries, nobody has conversations because I think everyone's kind of frozen into yeah, that's so a true. different sort of headspace, yeah. really. There's something I really like about a shop where not everything is for sale, but I just can't. I keep trying to think about ha- ha- why I like it, but I just really like, love did, the idea. I know you're far too young, but have you ever seen Bagpuss? Well, I grew up in Bagpuss and Bagpuss it just it's the most amazing kind of anti capitalist. You oh. know, it was it was set up so Emily, the the girl in it, um, lived above a shop, but the shop was nothing for sale and everything was broken. Oh, and I people used to bring in their broken things into this shop and then during the nights all the kind of things in the shop used to come alive and mend this broken thing. And then the person then used to come back and collect their broken thing. But it was always about the story around objects. Ooh. So a story was told around objects, but it again it was a shop where absolutely nothing is the same <laughs> so oh, I like this kind of anti-capitalist yeah, thing yeah, yeah that, I think that's, like, that's yeah. definitely maybe we should watch some back first I think we should there's some research you know <laughs> purely for research <laughs> yeah but yeah I think the thing about kind of archives and telling stories is really important with because going back to what you're saying about yeah archiving your own works and boxing things up I had a conversation recently with someone who was we were looking at my work and we were in my studio and the amount I have a lot of stuff but she was like they haven't settled into works like Mm. I think I stop at the point I'm quite kind of I'll produce a lot of little experimental bits Mm. and kind of small scale things and then I forget that actually it's really helpful to take the next step of being like okay so what are these kind of telling me and if I put them in this order or in Mm. this arrangement like what's that doing and like telling Mm. the story with it I kind of just leave it as a array of possibilities um and i think yeah that's an important part of the process which i guess the shop does and i guess like i know when i came to your studio when you were upstairs mm. 
that's what you were talking about. You had a lot of things, but you were kind of arranging them and talking about the archaeological dig and things like that. So I think, yeah, that's... I uh, think that's where where you have exhibitions. That's why it's really, really useful because you then do have to edit and you do have to think and you do it's it stops that endless process of just generating the whole time doesn't it yeah which and, i'm good at <laughs> yeah and i'm really really good at and it just never you know and that's why i know that i need to have things on the horizon because every mm. so often there just needs to be that point where you kind of consolidate and you really question what the work is doing and how it's going to meet an audience and how that audience is going to respond to yeah. it and you can't, you just have to have that, don't you? And then you curate your own work and you edit your own work yeah. and then it goes out and then you can see what that does and then that the process then can start again, can't it? Yeah, because the bit where it meets an audience always confuses me because then I'm like, who am I making this for? Because you're having to think about what people are going to make of it. Yeah. And then you're like, am I curating this for them or am I curating this for me? And how do those two things overlap? Well, that's something I was finding recently when I was trying to organize my cabinets yeah. <laughs> i was like do i do i mind what people think of this do i just want this to tell a story that i can understand and then i'll see what people get from it or do i actually really want this to say a particular thing and i want people to get that particular thing from it well i find like i have a similar thing but in a different format it's that thing of i don't know if someone like comes to your work or to your studio and uh i don't know like i had it a while ago where i was doing like, lots of little drawings and someone kind of said like, but why drawings? Like, why haven't you painted it instead? Mm. And it it genuinely like threw me off the deep end. I was <laughs> like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, like, am I doing it because I want to do it? Or like, is there a reason behind me working with that material, working in that way? And I think it, it, it feels like it's a similar mm. thing of, you know, the panic you had with curating your cabinet of like, am I curating this? For me to understand or am I curating it for other people or... yeah and there's probably a bit of overlap yeah somewhere, but... it's just kind of an odd thing of I think this is a really this probably sounds really stupid to say but I sometimes forget that like me and my work are perceived by other people mm. and then when someone asks quite a direct question like why did you draw that I sort of am suddenly quite like um oh, why have I done that <laughs> I think I, I did it because I, I wanted to yeah. They're like, no, but but why? Like, what's the reason? And I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> because I, I like to draw. But we don't always know the direct, you know, we, it's mm. really hard to find direct answers to things, isn't yeah. it? It's like, and I don't really know how useful that is either. It's, it's the openness in work, isn't it? So I don't think things have definite conclusions and mm. that they reach a point and they, you know, they say one thing. They can they they're open, aren't they? Otherwise, everything's yeah. so dead ended, isn't That's it? True. Really? Yeah. Have you had? Because recently we've had a well, as part of the cultural show, we've kind of had other people curating our work and comparing it to the Newlyn one as well, which was also kind of curated. So, do you find there's a big difference between like the Grey's Wolf show? You kind yeah. of it's all you. Yeah. You curated it versus other yeah, people curating other people your work. Curate your work. Do you is like really, it? Well, um, not always. <laughs> <laughs> shows where you just think oh my god I'm being hung here with that person's work you know you have to but then that's good because you have to lose the ego you know so I do like sometimes when work just goes out and somebody else is doing something with it and it isn't necessarily what I would choose to do with it but then the artist ego has to kind of die a bit when you're in a group show I think that's very healthy for (laughs) us that's interesting because I think 
I really like the idea of someone else curating it because I'm like sort of it shows you what they think a little bit of yeah. your work but then also if I hate how it's hung or you know displayed then that tells me something about what I think yeah. about the work as mm. well so yeah I've a learning moment yeah I mean I had a nice moment in the poly this morning with Ginny Button did you cross over with Ginny or maybe she'd left before I don't think so. she used to be our director of school of art but she's wonderful and amazing oh. writer and curator but she was hanging my work in the poly and that was really lovely because she was teaching me about curating and the way that audiences move around a space which I actually know nothing about oh, I'd at all. love to learn more about yeah. that yeah it's so interesting she was saying well you never if everything's the same colour which mine is black she said there's people you have to vary you have to hang things in sections so you can't just have everything hanging in one way because oh, the audience will won't their attention won't last with things so it was just these and I and I haven't been worked with a curator that's kind of talked about that process and mm. how they hang things and it was really interesting to see how she placed the work because it wouldn't have been how I placed it and mm. oh, that's that was really nice yeah. yeah yeah I'd love to know curatorial rules yeah like that yeah even well, if you break yeah, because, them but yeah you know. exactly and we sort of do everything so intuitively and so used to doing everything ourselves as artists aren't we mm. that it is when you work with curators it is a completely different thing because you're almost handing over when I feel like I'm handing over work at that point it feels like it's not mine anymore yeah. it's just something that's mm. gone out into the world and you have to sort of let go of it yeah it's very nice to have technicians though that you know we'll just love do technicians things. technicians <laughs> are the best yeah. they are brilliant you're like please can you do this and they're like it's done and you're like, yeah. <laughs> although yeah the Grease show was a little bit more chaotic than that I was like please can you put a shelf off and they're like we'll be there in three working days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes yeah, I did have a question that was sort of came up earlier, but I guess this idea of collections, because it was actually Gillian that mentioned this to me, like when I was in my third year. I think because I that was the first point that I'd started working with collections as a yeah. broad term, and she kind of took the approach of she was like, you don't need an answer to this, but she was like, might be worth just thinking about is obviously the history of collections and the fact that the history of collections is. A little bit dicey in places, particularly mm. because you know we're English. Yeah, it's all um, built on colonialism. Yeah, a little, little bit dicey there. Yes. Um, <laughs> and Gillian kind of took the approach of like, as long as you're thinking about that and you understand that, um, and how that can come across in your work, she was like, I think that's all good. Mm. And then I recently had someone else say to me that like you should be more active with the fact that you are working with collections and taxonomy and the history that comes with that. Obviously, I know. Like you might not, I don't know how you categorise your work as if, you, if you'd if you say that you do work with collections, but is that something that you think about or has come up in your practice? Well, it's, it certainly comes up with the shop. So okay. it doesn't come up in my actual practice because I, I don't directly work with collections. I think I'm sort of maybe referencing the idea of collected objects coming together or archaeology or, but more as sort of processes or things that I'm working around mm-hmm. as... But in the shop, it certainly has a... It is very interesting because the shop is absolutely full of fur. Mm. And, you know, and I'm, I'm vegan. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm always trying to... And I feel like, I mean, a lot of people's grandmothers seem to die. And when people are going, into, going through their, their houses of stuff, they find these you know, furs that were obviously worn by, I mean, I've got a collection of Italian furs now that was worn in the 1920s. Wow. I've got 
a collection, you know, and it's from it's from people's grandmothers, and they can't bear to throw things away, and mm. they don't want them in their houses. Yeah. So I feel that I've become a sort of a custodian for mm. things that other people really don't want, but mm. they're unable to throw them away. Mm. Hence, I've got the kitten features and the little things in jars, mm. and, you know, and some of the things that I have in the shop. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, ethically now, I mean, you know, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't have those, you wouldn't have the furs around, you wouldn't have any of those things around. And even taxidermy, it's kind of, you know, it, it's difficult to make any of those things okay, isn't it, really? Mm. But the shop is full of that sort of stuff that mm. has been given rather than thrown away. Mm. Mm. I really want to visit the shop now. I don't know how I've managed to make it this far. <laughs> Yes, I'm not sure what the future of the shop is because all of the sort of like artist-led spaces have do they have limited time things, you know? And I think before I had, I mean, it's having the studio at Cast has changed everything, which is a terrible thing. So I can blame it all on the studio (laughs) because now you know I work three days a week. I and every single second that I'm not working, I now want to be here. Mm. So the shop is really, really neglected as oh. a space. <laughs> and I'm trying to think about ways. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking earlier, it's like how you juggle your life as an artist mm. and how you kind of make a living and do all of the things that you love doing that end up being, you know, for nothing and how that sort of all works. So the shop doesn't make any money, but it's a wonderful thing and I mm. really enjoy it. Mm. But it's, I'm trying to think about how it can still exist as a space. I'm actually trying to think about if it's possible to put it all... This is my latest idea. Mm. And edit this house. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it all in a caravan. I suddenly love Ooh. the idea of having a mobile... A tourist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> To take dust. I just, I just saw it so clearly in the last few days of thinking that is what I want to do next. So I get yeah. bored really, really easily. So the thought of just endlessly, endlessly opening the shop. I've done it for nearly three years, mm. and I think it needs another life. Okay. And I like the other life, the life of thinking what would happen if I turn a little bubble caravan into this Victorian kind of emporium of yeah. a cabinet of curiosities and just took it on the road. Oh my God. So <laughs> Please do that. <laughs> so I love I think that. that's what's going to happen I'm next. I'm trying to think what event, you know I have like pop-up shops at events and things and food yeah. vans. I'm trying yeah. to think what events you could well, take it to. Like a gallery. gallery. Just a festival. Like a festival, <laughs> yeah. Gallery events, you know, you think that there might be or museum events yeah. or death that you know you could take there's like a there used to be a week in bristol i don't know if they still run it which was um national death week or national Green or something so you know yeah so it could it i'm sure that there are certain things that it could turn up but even so i mean i could just take it anywhere and then you can bring it with you to cast (laughs) (laughs) what if you do if you if the shop will be shutting anytime soon please let us know so we can run over quickly before it goes but i just i can feel you know i i like doing things especially if you're doing things for nothing that you have to be excited and really into them yeah and i can feel that my energy is changing Mm. with the shop and it needs to have just a a new a new life in some way yeah Yeah. i think it's a very important thing to acknowledge when something is like yeah because other people you feel like you've just got to keep perpetually doing things often but I, i can't do that and i feel like other people will be able to feel that the energy is different if you mm. if I've got the energy for it then I can generate audiences and things can come in and change and it's very fluid whereas if I haven't then you know 
it's not it's not the same thing, but I would have the energy for it if it's something completely different. If it's in a caravan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well that's an exciting future for the shop. Yes. Um that's I'm aware cool. we've been recording for like in the realm of fifty minutes to an hour. I don't know if there's anything else we'd like to talk about. I think well, for me certainly that's probably been, you know, fantastic and fine and I'm sure nobody wants to listen to us rambling on for any <laughs> I'd possibly ramble on for the rest of the day but yeah I, yes I appreciate we need to stop at some point um nice no, that's well perfect. thank you so that's much for coming on yeah. I've really enjoyed it I've really enjoyed having you both here so oh, thank uh, you for coming thank you for hosting thank you for the tea <laughs> you're welcome um, and yeah we'll come over to the shop yeah, no, do, if, do, if and do when that. it opens yeah oh, I'll yeah. let you know when we do the next thing there nice yeah that would be great Hello and welcome again, except this time, welcome to the outro rather than the intro. <laughs> welcome to the end. Indeed. We hope that you enjoyed, or at least found it quite interesting, just listening to kind of people chat, which yeah. I know is what a podcast is, but also I think with podcasts there's, there's always like a level of... Um, Awareness from the... Yeah, like you're presenting in a way. Yes, yeah. Whereas that was literally just, we wanted a chat and we got one. Yeah, <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, yeah, I think... I think we said it at the time, but just again, thank you so much to Lucy for coming on. It was like absolutely It was delightful. genuinely lovely. I also don't know if we should give her Instagram a little shout out. Yes. Um, so her Instagram is artist underscore Lucy underscore Willow. Um, and she also has a dust. Um, we spoke about her shop called Dust. Um, so that's also got an Instagram, which is linked from the bio of the other one because it's a little bit complicated. It's t underscore art. But we'll link them both in various places so yeah do go check out her instagram and you can see all of her gorgeous work on there so thank you for listening to this proper art episode that we've done <laughs> and i guess you'll hear from us again in two weeks time i mean i hope so i said that more of a question i was gonna say i was like is something happening <laughs> are we not gonna make it to two weeks time we'll see okay okay <laughs> <laughs> goodbye